and welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and today we're going to be continuing uh, part two of Cameron versus Bashir, Bashir versus Cameron, uh, the first statewide televised debate. We're covering the second half of that. Uh, if you want to hear the first half of this debate, go on back to uh, last uh, podcast, last episode. You can hear that first half. Here's the second half we're going to be covering today. And as always, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. Please as well, as a reminder to those of you watching on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all those places, just a reminder that you can always listen to this on the podcast format. Uh, these episodes are a little bit longer, and so certainly listening on that podcast format can be more enjoyable. Without further ado, let's dig into it. Let's hear this first question. Uh, to Larry Smith, your Attorney General Cameron, you will be the first uh, to answer this question. Yeah. Gentlemen, Kentucky is in the midst of its phasing out its personal income tax, which currently sits at 4.5%. How does the state reduce its individual income tax without cutting social services or blowing a hole in the budget? A reminder, 60 seconds. Well, look, there's a philosophical difference between me and Andy Bashir on this question. Andy Bashir believes that the government is in the best position to spend and control your money. I think you, as a citizen of this Commonwealth, deserve to have more of your hard-earned money in your pocket, especially in light of what we are seeing coming out of Washington, D.C. They call it Bidenomics. The rest of us just call it record-high 40-year inflation and a war on coal. Again, it is harder to buy groceries. It is harder to purchase gas. It is harder to secure childcare. The way that we can help ease that is about eliminating the income tax, but also making sure that we are attracting more citizens into the state. That will make sure that we can keep our revenues high so that we can pay for those core services that are necessary for our Commonwealth to function. Mr. Bashir, same question to you. How does the state reduce its income tax without cutting social services or again, blowing a hole in the budget? You have 60 seconds. We're having this conversation because of the red hot economy we've worked to build. Our two best years of economic development ever and this year is gonna be our third best ever. Since I became governor, we've had our three biggest budget surpluses in history, including the last one, $1.55 billion, which means we have the money uh, to build that Brent Spence companion bridge without tolls. It means we have the money to give the 11% across the board raise to our teachers. And yes, it means we have the money to reduce the tax burden of our people. I'm the governor that signed a decrease in the income tax because we could afford it. I've lowered the property tax rate three separate times. I froze the gas tax and the motor vehicle tax when it was the toughest on our people, and we will continue to do this responsibly. But my opponent's plan, which is to eliminate it in four years, would turn us into Kansas, where they had to stop every infrastructure program, slashed education, slashed healthcare. That's $5 billion he would immediately remove, just crushing our state. If, if Mr. I, Cameron, if, if, I, if I could, oh, it yeah. just again, a, a redirect once again, how do you do this yeah. without cutting social services or, or, or blowing the budget? We do it responsibly. And while I don't agree with all the guardrails that General Assembly put on, they tried that. They didn't say we're going to cut everything within four years, which would crater our economy. They said if 
our general fund revenue is enough if we see receipts that are high enough. Uh, why I vetoed the first income tax reduction is it came with a whole bunch of sales tax increases, including on background checks that keep our kids safe at summer camps. The second one, I signed. I signed because I saw that our revenues were so much better that month compared to the year before, that we could afford it and afford all the services that we provide. The way we do this is responsibly, having the conversations and not making a rash plan that, that took Kansas in a place to where its Republican legislature had to repeal it years later. If you believe in public education, public safety, or health care, his plan would decimate all of them. Mr. Cameron, rebuttal. 30 seconds. Well, look, what Andy Bashir said in short is that it's an election year, so he signed the most recent version that the legislature put before him. But make no mistake about it, come next year, when our legislature is working through the process of continuing to cut our taxes here in Kentucky, Andy Bashir is not going to sign that legislation. He's going to veto it because it is not an election year, and he's untethered for any responsibility in an election season. What I'm here to tell you is that I'm going to work alongside our legislature to get our income tax rate down to zero as quickly as we possibly can, because you deserve you, more Mr. of your Cameron. money in your pocket. Thank you. We go now, Gilbert Corsi, you have the next question. We're going to pivot uh, a little bit topic again. All right. So obviously that was a question regarding, uh, of course, the income tax, cutting it down, getting to that point. And I think this would have been a great opportunity for Cameron to call out some major spending points, point out that as they talk about blowing out the budget, everything else, pointing out where we can make cuts. You know, some of you are aware uh, last year when I was running for state treasurer towards the end of last year, beginning of uh, the new, this year, I released a cuts report, something I'd put together as I looked at the budget and identified uh, almost a, a, a several hundreds of millions, almost six, seven hundred million dollars of government spending that I was able to quickly identify that could be eliminated or reduced, complete, uh, reduced or eliminated completely in order to return some fiscal uh, conservativeness to our government. Because remember, since our state legislature is taking control, the net result has been there's a few years where maybe they cut down the budget a bit, but the net result has been they've spent more and more money than even the Democrats did when they had control. This would have been a great opportunity for Cameron to point out some of the misspending in places where we can make, make cuts. Point out hundreds of millions being paid to private companies, tens of millions going to DEI consultants, tens of millions going to economic development plans uh, that are only there to benefit people of certain skin colors or genders. I mean, point out and say, look, I completely understand that if people are dealing with uh, uh, situations where we don't have jobs for people to work or jobs in an area, looking at economic development in that area is very important and maybe perhaps a role of government. If I'm running for office, I may say perhaps we're running government, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I'd still argue over some of that stuff. But anyways, I could see that. I could see that being a role of government to look at in order to see what one we have done to create a problem with economic development in the area and two, what can we do to fix it? What can we do to, to return that area to being prosperous? I get that. But right now statewide, we have two to one ratio of job openings to people looking for jobs. Our unemployment rates all time low with a two to one ratio. Why are we talking about creating more jobs? We need to be talking about getting more people back to work, which I know that they will talk about here later on, but it's, it's, we need to be talking about getting people back to work 
First, we can't continue to just take money from hardworking Kentuckians, hundreds and hundreds of millions. We spend uh, uh, 360 million, I believe, 300 or 400 million is the economic development cabinet's budget for one year. We can't continue to take money from people and spend like that off of hardworking. What are we trying to achieve? We've got two to one ratio of open jobs to people looking for jobs. We don't need more jobs. We don't need them. And of course, their response is, well, well, you know, we'll grow. We'll grow by putting in more jobs. The state will grow. We'll attract in more people. If we have more people, that'll lower the tax burden on the individual because we'll be able to pay for those core services off of a, a bigger tax base. But more people into a state doesn't make the core services easier to pay for. It makes it harder. What are core services? We're talking about roads. We're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about what? police, court systems, all those things. As we add more people, those things also get more expensive outside of very small towns that hit a point where they say, okay, we need this many citizens to be able to provide where, you know, because you have a baseline and maybe amount of police officers. Like we have to have, let's say, six or seven full-time police officers. We have to have that um, because even if we only have one on duty at a time, um, you know, obviously uh, it's it's 24 seven uh, that we have to have, you know, five, six police officers in order to be able to schedule them, work them uh, and, and handle all that. Okay. Well, if, whether you have one person or you have a thousand people or 10,000 people, I believe the expected officer to person ratio should be like 20,001, 10,000 people, 20,000 people, 30,000. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if we have 10,000 people or one person, we have the same amount of police officers we need to have. And so therefore having, of course, 5,000 people or something like that, uh, means that we can afford, we don't have to put as much taxes on that one person as with those 5,000, we can spread that out because that cost stays the same, same with, uh, taking care of roads or things like that to a degree that makes sense. But we as a state are not in that position. So how does adding in more people make our core services get cheaper? Unless you're trying to add them into specific areas where economic development is just awful and that the counties are needing to have wealth redistributed from other counties in order to make their budget work. And you're saying, if we can bring jobs into that area, well, therefore we don't have to redistribute as much wealth. That makes some sense, but that's not what they're talking about. But yet nobody can say that. Nobody can say. It's just like that question and the way they answered it is just a given that the budget is perfect, that the budget doesn't need to be cut at all. And I thought we had a conservative running on the Republican side. But yet, and I've said this before and I'll say this again, there has not been a talk about a fiscally conservative policy at all. Cutting income tax, I guess you could consider maybe a fiscal policy, but that's fiscal uh, conservative taxation. Um, and the way you're doing it is doesn't make sense because, yeah, Bashir's right. You did raise the sales tax in order to achieve it. But we, ha we haven't had any fiscal conservative conversations at all. We got to cut that budget. We got to cut it. And nobody's willing to say it. If you want to, to tax our citizens less, which they supposedly want to do, they got to cut it. They didn't even hit their own markers for reducing income tax down because they spent too much. They created a plan two years ago, legislators did, that said if they spent this amount and then they had at least this amount, then they could make the cut. Well, they brought in the amount they were supposed to, but, but they spent more than their original plan. Therefore, they can't make the cut if they follow their original plan and the way it was laid out because they chose to spend too much. We just need somebody to say, hey, 
We need to spend less. Let's hear what they transition to uh, here next. This one goes to Governor Bashir. Thank you, Evan. Gentlemen, our next question centers on the social worker shortage in Kentucky. A legislative hearing during the summer revealed that the turnover rate remains at about 34% for that position, even after $17,000 pay raises. Crushing caseloads, 60 to 70,000 children per social worker, and foster kids sleeping on the floor in state office buildings because there's no place to take them. So, Mr. Bashir, we will start with you. What are your tangible solutions for the social worker and foster care crisis in Kentucky? Protecting our children is our key obligation, not just in government, but as responsible adults. Every child deserves a world free of abuse and neglect. Sadly, that's not the world we're currently living in. Our social workers are that lifeline. They go into dangerous homes and try to make the best call they can for children. They try to find the best placements that they can. And when I came into office, they were so dramatically underpaid. And the legislature had ended new pensions for any new hires and tried to illegally cut pensions for existing social workers, that the morale is as low as it's been. But we have provided historic pay raises. We are seeing our numbers go up, though we want them to go up faster. We are investing in new facilities to try to make sure that no child ever sleeps on the floor of an office building. But the world we live in means when a social worker makes that call, sadly, there is not a better option in the middle of the night where that child might not be in danger. Mr. Cameron, same question to you. What are your solutions for the social worker and foster care crisis in Kentucky? Well, on the foster care crisis specifically, it is an absolute tragedy that under this governor's leadership, we have kids that are sleeping on government floors in dilapidated buildings. That should never happen in our governor, from our governor's office, and it certainly should never happen here in this Commonwealth. And I think it's disappointing as well. Not only is it happening in our foster care, look at our juvenile detention facilities and the challenges that exist there with sexual assault and other things. The workforce issue is a much larger conversation. Under this governor, he has told people to stay home, so much so that we have the lowest workforce participation rate in this Commonwealth's history. That is under this governor. We need a governor that's going to get folks back working again. How many of you all that are here tonight or watching on television are working every day to know that simply you are subsidizing those that Andy Bashir wants to keep at home? I wanna get folks back into the work environment and make sure that we have a foster care and social services community that is amply Thank you, staffed. Mr. Cameron. Governor Bashir, you have 30 seconds. It is time we stop running ourselves down and start talking ourselves up. We have the lowest annual unemployment rate in our history last year, our longest period of low unemployment. We have more jobs filled right now than just about ever in our history. Uh, we look at all that is going on. Our glass isn't just uh, half full. Uh, when it comes to the economy, our glass is so full we need a bigger glass. But when we look at foster care, our job has to be to continue to work every single day to find that right forever home for every single child. Thank you. Attorney General Cameron, you are up next. A question from Megan. 
Oh, man, why, why are you guys talking about the bad stuff? Come on now. Come on. Well, what, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe under me we have lower workforce participation rate, but, but do we need to focus on the positive. Why are we talking so bad about me and my job? You know, maybe we need to start talking about the positive things going on, like me and my job. <laughs> I mean, that was just so funny to me that in there where he's like, well, he goes, Cameron goes, our workforce participation rate is too low and that's affecting things. And it is, we'll go into that. And he goes, let's stop focusing on the bad. <laughs> this is a debate, buddy. You're in politics. This is a campaign. And you're literally like, we need to stop looking at the bad. Okay. Let's look at the positive. All right. There's jobs. Yeah. There's nobody to work them. Yeah, that's hindering our ability to grow, but uh, our ability to, uh, you know, attract in employers that I'm spending hundreds of millions on doing, but it's positive. And you're just talking about the negative. Now, what they hit upon, the $17,000 pay raise doesn't fix it because you got a greater problem going on here. And this is what I wish they kind of brought up. And they talked about communities need to uh, be attracting better responsibility, constantly turning to government for to, to solve your problems is wrong. I say this on the campaign trail. I'd say government isn't, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I said. I'd say, you know, government isn't, doesn't replace community. Government doesn't replace a parent and government doesn't replace God. And frankly, we're asking government to do those things. That's creating our issues. Part of our issues, it's it's not just that we have a social worker shortage and everything else, but we have a shortage because we have so many kids in these issues. And the reason why we have kids in these issues is because we have parents who we've absolved from all kinds of responsibility. I think that's incredibly important to understanding in this, in this problem. There's two ways to solve it. They're saying just throw workers at it. That's the problem. How do we get more workers? They're not saying, how do we have less kids in the system to begin with? Better communities, better personal responsibility. Now, Bashir sitting there saying, well, Kevin for Health and Family Services is just doing it because a kid in the middle of the night needs somewhere to go. So we put him on the floor of our office. But that's that's not accurate. That's not accurate to what's been going on. This has been going on for over a year. And kids are sleeping in the offices for days on end. It's not just in the middle of the night and they're hanging out for a little bit until uh, they can find somewhere to put them the next day. They're hanging out there for days on end, uh, uh, sometimes weeks on end. Like that's not okay. And they don't have anywhere to put them uh, because they're struggling to play some of these kids uh, because they don't know how to handle the problems going on. We have plenty of beds apparently available. They have no solutions. I think that's a bigger problem here too, is that the Bashir administration has no solutions to how to get kids off the floor of offices. It's been going on for another year and it'll just continue to go on. And then as, as Cameron brings up, as we talk about social worker shortages, he talked about the workforce in general, and he's right. When we have a two-to-one thing with the job openings, well, that gives one social workers more options of where to go. That raises the cost of labor across the board. That gives them other job options that they wouldn't normally have, and it makes it harder to attract and retain talent. Why put up with the BS if I don't have to? If I can go work another job, get paid the same amount or more, or even a little bit less, but I don't have to deal with this BS, then I, that's what I'm going to do. And so by having so many open jobs, it makes it hard to keep people, no matter how much you pay them, in a position where they're doing difficult work. We do have a problem with workforce participation. No matter how much Bashir doesn't want to focus on it, we do. 
And he may not want to talk about it, but it's our one of our biggest problems we have right now for the cost of things, the ability to function as, as a society in the state. And if, if Bashir's going to insist and Cameron's going to insist and the legislature's going to insist upon taking hundreds of millions of dollars from us every year and giving it to private companies to come here, they better fix that workforce participation problem or all they're doing is making our lives harder because that will cause regional inflation, area inflation, where you have these employers coming in paying more and having to pay more because they need to attract in people to build business, to do this. And they're giant corporations. They can afford to do that. And the small mom and pop shops who can't afford to do it, who can't afford to make a 2.5% net profit rating like a company like Ford does. They can't afford that because you know it's a small business and they're working in it and there's like 10 employees. They can't afford to do that and survive themselves. And so therefore they can't compete with them on the labor. It's going to put small businesses out. You're taking money from them to put them out of business to what? To create a situation where everybody has to be paid more, but because everybody's being paid more, everything costs more. And now everybody has nothing more to show for it. Other than the fact that large corporations have uh, condensed down the employees into one place and small businesses have gone out. It's, it's a bad situation. We're going to take a short break. Uh, coming up next, we're going to go over their next question they have in this debate. Uh, we'll have this after this short break. All right. Let's hear what they have to say in this uh, next question here. Some House lawmakers have laid out an 18-point public safety plan. Part of that plan would allow involuntary commitment of people who are mentally ill and commit crimes. Mr. Cameron, how do we balance publishing sorry, punishing those with mental illness who commit crimes versus providing comprehensive mental health services while also protecting the public. Well, let me say that I applaud the legislature, those members of the conference that put forward this robust public safety plan. You know, in large part, it follows a public safety plan that I put out, a 12-point plan to address the violent crime increase that we've seen across Kentucky. You know, Andy Bashir let out of jail roughly 2,000 criminals. Until a couple of days ago, I was saying only a third of those had recommitted felony offenses. Turns out I was wrong. It's more than 50% have recommitted felony offenses, making our communities less safe and our law enforcement's job more difficult. It's why the Kentucky Fraternal Order of Police endorsed me in this campaign. They endorsed Andy Bashir in 2019, but like a lot of folks, they've seen that words are not enough. They need someone that's going to stand with them and support our law enforcement community. I will do that as the next governor of Kentucky. All right, Mr. Bashir, same question for you. How do we balance punishing those with mental illness who commit crimes versus providing comprehensive mental health services while also protecting the public? Everyone deserves to feel safe in their home and in their community. And while a lot of our uh, uh, violent crime statistics are going down, people don't feel safer, so we have to do more. That's why I led the charge to get our Kentucky State Police the largest single pay raise in their history. We had seen our numbers tumble for over a decade, and now they're moving up with one of the largest forces we've seen in a while. We had the most applications that we have seen in years, which means especially our rural communities will have more law enforcement that will make them safer. I've pushed to increase the training fund for all of our local police officers and sheriff deputies so that we can encourage and have more. I've sent our National Guard to the border under both presidents I've served under because border security is national security. And working with corrections, we've achieved the lowest recidivism rate in the history of Kentucky. But what he won't tell you is the numbers he's putting forward about those who are commuted 
The vast majority of them, if they committed a crime, was after they would have already been out. They lie on this so much, they even ran an ad about an individual who never got out of jail at all. Thank you, Mr. Bashir. Uh, Attorney General Cameron, your right to rebuttal, 30 seconds if you so choose. Yeah, Andy Bashir has basically just shared with us that he has no plan to address the increase in violent crime that he caused. You don't feel safer because you're not safer under this governor. There has been a 68% increase in murders in our rural communities. There's been a 30% increase across the state. That's not something that the governor is going to be able to run from over the course of these next two or three weeks, because every time I have an opportunity to talk about how we need to uh, protect our communities, I will do my best to make sure our law enforcement community knows that they have someone that's going to support them. Thank you, Mr. Cameron. We're not done with public safety yet, so I'm going to let Larry ask his question because we may get to what you want to discuss. All right, so let's go through what they're talking about there. So to be clear, to be clear, the question was, how do we balance punishing those uh, with mental health issues and treating those with mental health issues as they were talking about involuntary commitment uh, of people due to um, mental health issues? So basically the question had to do with, look, we've got people that are a danger to themselves and others on the streets. Uh, they're committing crimes, everything else. We want to punish them, but we also want to treat them. What do we do here? How do we solve this problem? What you'll notice is neither Cameron nor Bashir managed to mention anything to do with mental health at all, the balance of a punch, punishment, anything. That was a really honest, good question. It tells you a little bit about their thoughts of liberty, their role of government. How do you navigate this difficult situation where you have to uh, 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 balance the needs of others, the rights of others, and the rights and things? You know, Where do you see that line being drawn? That's a very interesting, interesting question. And yet neither of them answered it. Now, I do want you to start a tracker on how many times Cameron from this point on is going to bring up the fact that he's endorsed by the FOP because it's a fair amount of times. I think it's five or six times he's going to bring up this point. Um, and, and the question, going back to the question, though, it is a very interesting question, a question to answer to say, look, you know, if I was to answer that, I'd say, look, you know, the the the. We're asking our court systems to be mental health providers, and those need to be two separate systems. We need to create two systems where we have a criminal justice system that deals with you for committing the crime that you committed. You deserve to be punished for committing that crime. Then we need to have a mental health system that you can either be enrolled into or after you've completed the crime, if you've committed other crimes, have a history of it, the judge can therefore uh, uh, tack that onto the sentence. So if you steal something, you get your charge for stealing the same as you would as anybody else stealing. You don't get an either or kind of situation. You get your charge, you get your punishment for that. And then if you're continued recidivism or if there's a mental health problem or a drug problem going on here, well, then now you get put, you get, um, Sentenced to also beyond that, dealing with a mental health system uh, that we have in place to make sure you're no longer a threat to yourself or others. That's what we need to look at doing, creating two separate systems. That's a good answer, I think. And that actually answers the questions, but that's not on what they brought up. Instead, you had Bashir talking about KSP, border security, um, you know, and then he brought up this commuting thing. Uh, uh, Cameron brought it up too, commuting these sentences. What's, what's interesting is, is um, the Bashir bringing up the fact that, well, a lot of these people committed a crime after they would have been out anyways as a way to um, 
you know, basically uh, forgive the fact he let him out of prison. And I think that is a great way of looking at it and not caring about how your actions have consequences. Because if you have criminals who are, well, in trouble for something, they're in jail for something, and then they get let out, you're sending them a message that they can just do whatever and it's okay. Uh, you won't get punished for it. I think that's definitely something we don't want to continue sending the message on, just my humble opinion. Um, and I think that could be, that is kind of the point. You only have 60 seconds, but if I'm Cameron, that's kind of the point I'm making is that you commute these people. You're telling them you can commit crimes. And as long as we got a good enough excuse, we'll let you out of prison. What, what are you telling them that what they can continue to recommit and recommit? And that's what's happened over 50% have done it. And so that way it kind of definitely nips in the butt of him saying, well, that was after they would have been let out of jail. Well, he still sent a message that they wouldn't get punished for it though. And that's the problem. That's the problem. So keep in mind what I said, though, about Cameron and the FOP endorsement. Let's hear their next question. Next question. And uh, Mr. Bashir, we'll start with you. Another piece of that public safety plan deals with confiscated weapons that are used in crimes. Current law requires them to be sold to licensed gun dealers, which then through Kentucky State Police, which can then be resold and end up right back on the streets. So, Mr. Bashir, I start with you. Do you support a pathway to destroy guns used in homicides in Kentucky why or why not, and how should they be destroyed? Well, let me close out that final question by saying that the Attorney General is the top cop and the top prosecutor in the Commonwealth. If Andy and the Bashir fact that wanted he to just tried to blame State me Attorney entirely, General. the fact that he just tried to blame me entirely for a rise in crime when he's the top cop shows you that he plays the blame game, the partisan game, and doesn't try to come with those solutions. In April, I lost one of my closest friends to a mass shooting. Sometimes it feels like six years ago, sometimes it feels like six minutes ago. And the fact that that murder weapon that killed my friend and so many others could be auctioned off to the highest bidder has shown me how much this harms victims and their families and the trauma that you undergo when you have someone that's been murdered. Listen, we have plenty of money to ensure that that fund that they go into is made whole, but let's not put a weapon that murdered somebody back on the street. Let's have more empathy than that. And, and how should they be, Mr. Bashir, how should they be destroyed? Well, when it's a, a weapon that absolutely, that, that, that murdered someone like my friend Tommy, destroy it in whatever way you want to. Make that, that law enforcement fund whole, but don't make families. I had to call my friend's wife to tell her that her husband was dead because nobody else would at that time, and I didn't want her to have to sit around and wait. How it makes her feel and everyone else to have that weapon auctioned off, it's just wrong. Mr. Cameron, same question for you. Um, do you support a pathway to destroy these guns used in homicides in Kentucky? Why and why not, and how should they be destroyed? Again, you have 60 seconds. Well, let me first say it was an absolute tragedy what happened at Old National Bank. And Governor, my condolences to you on the loss of a dear friend. And as I understand uh, from talking to folks within the Louisville community and the Kentucky State Police, it sounds like an agreement will be struck to, to make sure that specific weapon is not being utilized anymore. And I certainly support that decision. But when it comes to the broader and larger picture, I'm going to stand up and support our Second Amendment rights, and I will do that as the next governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I know uh, 
Governor Bashir has a difference of opinion on this, but I'm always going to stand up for the Second Amendment. But let me just also uh, say that if we are serious about addressing the issue of violent crime, especially in Louisville, let's put a Kentucky State Police post there. And look, if Andy Bashir, if we wanted to make an agreement at the end of this day where he gives the Attorney General the Kentucky State Police, I would gladly take it because I think I could do a better job helping run that enforcement agency than he has as governor. Governor Bashir, you have the right to rebuttal, 30 seconds. I believe in the Second Amendment and that any family or individual should be able to protect themselves. But I have enough empathy to say that a weapon used to murder somebody should not be auctioned off to the highest bidder, whether it's the one that killed my friend or anyone else. I'm proud to have led the Kentucky State Police to have secured the highest raise they've ever seen. Putting a post in Louisville would take the one or two troopers that right now monitor and are around a rural county and eliminate them, making each of those rural counties less safe. I think he pretty much referenced me. Gilbert Corsi, that was his rebuttal. We're not done with public safety yet. Uh, Gil Corsi, you've got the next public safety question. And which one are we, who are we starting with, Evan? Uh, we All right, so um, as I said, they're gonna ask another question about public safety here in a second, but uh, so what they're asking about, so KSP has this thing that they do um, and, and some other, other uh, police officers too, where they sell off guns that have been confiscated, committed crimes, things like that, uh, to gun dealers, and it creates a fund that helps them fund certain uh, activities. And, um, you know, this would be a great moment for Cameron or Bashir, whoever wants to be the most pro 2A, to show a philosophical understanding about guns in the Second Amendment. To say the reason why we do that is to help fund the KSP, and we recognize that guns don't commit crimes, people do. A hammer doesn't build a house, a person does. And a gun, like a hammer, is a tool that can be used for good or evil based upon the person. But alas, we didn't get a chance to hear that. No, instead, uh, we did hear some talk about being pro-Second Amendment from both Bashir and Cameron. And then also, of course, they had their little tiff and fight over the control of KSP, which is kind of funny. Um, and keep in mind, Bashir, he didn't give them a raise. Legislators gave KSP a raise. Bashir claims that he does. That's the thing. Bashir can take credit for all the things that legislators do. And Bashir early on tried to say, yeah, if anything good happens, it's legislators. If anything bad happens, it's my fault. Well, yeah, I mean, the legislators put out their last budget. The, the legislators gave the raise to KSP before you even put out your budget. They did their last budget before you even put out a budget. They're not referencing you. You're not talking to them. That's why anything good that comes out of the, the budgeting or the economic processes, anything good that comes out of the legislature, you don't get to take credit for Bashir because you take no part in it. You don't even talk to them. They've cast you to the side because you've casted them to the side. All during COVID, he casted them to the side. So they've casted him to the side. That is what happens. That is what happens. That is why the legislature gave the raise. Bashir didn't. But they're going to talk more about public safety, which here what they have to say. We will start with the Attorney General. All right. Attorney General Cameron, the last point uh, we're going to talk about in the public safety plan uh, is the death penalty, which in Kentucky has not been used since 2008. Do you support expanding the death penalty in the Commonwealth? Why or why not? Well, look, I put forward, uh, Gilbert, a very robust public safety plan. And one of the things that's part of that public safety plan is that if you commit the ultimate act and murder a police officer, 
we need in Kentucky to be able to seek the death penalty. And again, it's because I've put forward this robust plan and spoke boldly on these issues that the Kentucky Fraternal Order of Police have endorsed my campaign for governor. Again, I cite this because in 2019, they endorsed Andy Bashir, but they didn't want to endorse him this time because they know that his leadership ends at the words that come out of his mouth. There is no action to back up his rhetoric. You need a governor that's going to stand with our law enforcement community and make sure our communities are safe. I've put forward this plan. Kentucky doesn't have a standalone carjacking statute. Imagine if we had one, we could address those small issues that arise and prevent the larger societal issues from ever coming into play. Thank you, Mr. Cameron. To you, Mr. Bashir, do you support expanding the death penalty in the Commonwealth? Why or why not? I believe the last individual put to death in the Commonwealth is named Marco Allen Chapman. He slaughtered a family ruthlessly up here in Northern Kentucky. I know the gravity of what it's like to be governor or around a governor because I sat up with my dad that entire night. There are some crimes so terrible and some people so dangerous that I do believe this law needs to continue on the books. It has been um, uh, stayed suspended uh, by uh, a judge for the last oh, nearly decade. And there is a real challenge in what the process is or has to be. It's gonna continue to work its way through courts over these next several years. Uh, but I remember that case and I remember those kids that never had an opportunity to grow up in this Commonwealth, to make memories uh, like mine. That was a heinous crime uh, that I believe still deserves this type of penalty. A follow-up there directly. Would you support expanding the death penalty to other crimes in Kentucky? Well, it would depend on the crime and again, what comes to us. But right now, uh, a court order is preventing uh, any of those executions. Uh, what the court has said, and I worked through it as attorney general, this one is too, that we have to get a constitutional process uh, that different folks have, have worked towards over the years. The other thing is, is there is uh, three separate drugs right now that have to be used in any execution and none of the providers are providing them to virtually any state. Thank you. Uh, attorney General Cameron, your right to rebuttal. 30 seconds if you so choose. Well, look, I think we need to talk about the larger issue. This is a governor who has lost the trust of the law enforcement community. So much so that the biggest, and he touted this endorsement left and right in 2019. He said it's because they trusted him on issues related to public safety. Well, they don't trust him anymore. And it's for good reason, because he's let out these 2,000 criminals and 50% of them have recommitted felony offenses. That is not the leadership that we need in this state if we want to tamp down violent crime here in Kentucky. Thank you, Attorney General. Gentlemen, panelists, this may surprise you. This needs... So there we go. We had a question about death penalty. They're in northern Kentucky. Keep that in mind. As Bashir said, the last person killed under death penalty was with his dad, was because of a crime committed in northern Kentucky. So, of course, Bashir's going to rush over and, and basically try to claim that, that death penalty almost as his own. Uh, it was his own accomplishment. He flipped the switch. Um, you know, so clearly 
he feels very strongly about it because he's in that setting. You know, death penalty is an interesting question. There is a halt on it uh, because of court orders that needs to, of course, be uh, looked at and everything else if you want to continue with the death penalty, which is important to talk about. But it was kind of a odd question in a sense because you do have um, that uh, uh, court order going on. You're wondering about the expansion of the death penalty. Maybe you're hoping that they'd strike two different courts. Uh, you know, Democrats are typically more so against death penalty than Republicans, but there's plenty of Republicans and Liberty people that are against the death penalty too, as well. It's not just a Republican or Democrat issue. Um, it is odd to hear them both pretty much say they are for the death penalty. You, I, I kind of expected Bashir to say no. Um, but it is, of course, like I said, he's in Northern Kentucky. He's going to rush over and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw that switch. And, and maybe he really is against it. But there he just had to say he was for it. I don't know. It is funny, once again, to hear uh, uh, Cameron bring up the KSP endorsement. And, of course, KSP no longer trusting Andy Bashir. Uh, that makes a... Uh, that's funny that he brings that up just because it simply does point to something that when it comes to public safety, Bashir uh, is not on point for it. He isn't very good on it at all. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, we're going to hear their last question and their closing remarks. Stay with us. Uh, we'll see you guys after this short break. All right. This is our final segment on this a two-part series. Final, final time here. Um, final segment of our two episode series on this here debate. We're going to hear their final question. We'll go over that and then we'll hear their closing arguments. Let's hear what they got to say for their last question. Let's hear what it is. Big question, big last question. Let's hear what they come up with. The two of you have expressed different views on whether Medicaid benefits should come with a work requirement, an idea that you may or may not say is constitutional. Could you explain your opposition or support to a work requirement? Healthcare is a basic human right. And the best way to get people back to work is to get them healthy enough. Tearing away their healthcare coverage while they're trying to get there won't help our workforce participation at all. I, I've worked with our hospital systems through and after a pandemic. We've increased reimbursement rates so much that healthcare is expanding in amazing ways across our Commonwealth. We are building the first hospital in the West End of Louisville in 150 years. We're building one in Bullock County to reduce uh, ambulance times. We have built uh, pediatric autism centers in Pikeville and in Prestonsburg so families don't have to drive two hours to get the care they need. We just announced uh, a new primary care center in Morgan County. You know, no one should have to take two buses or drive two hours to get the health care they need. And what we ought to be doing is looking at targeted expansions. If we want you to go back to work, you need to be able to see well enough to drive to work. Let's get you a pair of glasses. It's pretty simple. Mr. Cameron, same question. Could well, you explain your opposition or support to a work requirement? Well, the governor keeps talking about these businesses opening, but the fact of the matter is we don't have the workforce to fuel these plants and these facilities and these new hospitals that are coming online. I mean, right now there is a 22% vacancy as it relates to nurses in terms of a nursing shortage. This is largely because, and we do have the lowest workforce participation rate in this Commonwealth's history, and it is because of the policies of this governor. For the decision that he has made is to expand our welfare roles and tell folks to stay at home. And then to add insult to injury, he had an unemployment office that was not providing unemployment uh, funding to those people that were staying at home. Now they are still there, not working, and you all that are working, whether you're at home or here today, are subsidizing that. 
We need a governor who will be a work-first governor. That will be me. We'll get this Commonwealth moving and working again because it is the right thing to do when we have some of these plants and projects coming online. Governor Bashir, your right to a rebuttal. Yeah, once again, the Attorney General isn't telling it straight. We have the most jobs filled ever in the Commonwealth, the lowest unemployment rate we've ever seen. And trying to blame people that through no fault of their own have lost their jobs and, and seek benefits is wrong. If you look at the last month we have the data for right now, August 2023 versus 2019. In 2023, we have less than half the filings for unemployment than we did in 19. People are getting to work. It's exciting. This is the best economic role we've ever been on. All right, gentlemen, it is now time for closing statements. Uh, Attorney General Cameron, we did a lot of. All right. So one thing that, um, you know, one thing I want to zero in on, I normally start back forward, but I'm going to start with the back one. Um, Bashir saying that unemployment rate and workforce participation are not the same thing. When he says we have record low amount of people filing for unemployment, that means you have a record low amount of people who are working that are looking for jobs. They're in jobs. But that doesn't mean you don't have a good workforce participation. What workforce participation means is people that fall within the age range to get a job that don't have one. And what the uh, um, what they're talking about is a requirement that if you are capable and able to get a job and you wanna be on Medicaid and get free healthcare, well, then you need to go out and get a job, a work requirement, not taking it away from you, but saying, if you're able to get a job, go get a job. It seems rather indefensible to say, look, you don't get to freeload off the taxpayer. This person who is working, who is paying taxes, is paying for your health care. You don't get to freeload off them. That seems pretty straightforward. But of course, Bashir can't handle that. He responds by saying health care is a basic human right. It's not. Understand this. It is not. Healthcare is not a basic human right. It can't be. Anything you get from somebody else cannot be a basic human right. Shelter is not a basic human right. You can live, and that what I'm what we mean by the right to uh, life and liberty is that you have the freedom to make choices as long as you're not impeding on other people's freedoms. You have the freedom to own property. You have the freedom uh, uh, to be alive without somebody coming in and shooting you. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you get things provided to you by other people like healthcare. The minute someone else labor becomes involved, it is no longer a right. And the fact that you think it is, is awful. And then he goes on to talk about all the great healthcare expansion going on. All that great healthcare expansion going on is going on off the back of the taxpayer while the individual, you have to pay more for healthcare because of it. You have to pay more in taxes because of it. And he's talking about, well, look at all those great healthcare expansion jobs coming in because you're paying for it. That's the problem. That's the problem with all this economic development. That's the big issue I have with Bashir outside the COVID stuff. Everything he does involves you paying for somebody else to get rich. You paying so some other corporation can make money. You, the hardworking person, is funding their agenda, funding their economic, quote unquote, development, funding their healthcare development, funding all of this. And the talk is about how great it is for you while well, you're the one paying for it. And then when you talk about people needing to get back to work, he comes and says, oh, come on now. Come on now. It's ridiculous. He says nobody should drive two hours for healthcare. Well, I mean, if you choose to live somewhere that's two hours away from healthcare, 
I mean, Cameron's right. We don't have the workforce for this continued expansion. And honestly, we're not going to attract it in. We got to solve that problem. Cameron is 100% right on it. Let's hear what their uh, closing arguments are coin flips uh, earlier tonight. Attorney General uh, Cameron, you won the coin toss. You chose to go second. That means Governor Bashir will take the first closing statement. Again, you have 90 seconds for your each uh, closing statement. Thank you all for getting through this with us tonight. I hope that you saw exactly what I talked about. From me, a vision, a record of achievement, a red hot economy but also acknowledging the next steps we need to take. And from my opponent, attack after attack after attack. If you saw me smile a little bit in the response, it's because my wife, Brittany, is here tonight. We believe as a couple, when you're running, you should be for something and not just against someone. When you have a candidate that is so partisan, they only see the world in red or blue, that anything that good happens must be one party and anything that bad happens must be the other. It means he's gonna leave out almost half the people of Kentucky. A good job isn't Democrat or Republican. Clean drinking water isn't partisan. That Brent Spence companion bridge without tolls is gonna let everybody travel across it. The things we need to do, the fact that I'm going to be the governor that gets high-speed internet access to every single home and business, transform the lives of all of our people. Now, this candidate wants to bring the Washington, D.C. division and anger politics into Kentucky, and we cannot allow it. When you are on a historic win streak, you don't fire the coach. You don't sub out the quarterback. You put this team, that is all of us, Team Kentucky on the field. You rack up the wins, and you bring home those championships. This is our time to never be a flyover state ever again, but to be the destination. Let's grasp this potential. Let's grasp our destiny together. Attorney General Cameron. Well, thank you all again for having us tonight. And chances are that if you are watching, you have some real concerns about issues that are existing right in this Commonwealth. Perhaps you're concerned about inflation that's hurting your wallet. Perhaps you are concerned about low test scores that your kids are getting at school because this governor shut those schools down for nearly two years. You need a governor with a bold vision and plan for the future. That's why I'm running for governor. Make sure that we catch our kids up and that they have every educational opportunity to be the best and brightest version of themselves. I also am running to make sure that we reduce violent crime. Under this governor, we've seen 2,000 criminals get out of jail and nearly or more than 50% of them commit felony offenses. We need leadership that's going to stand with our law enforcement community. That is why I am proud to be endorsed by the Kentucky Fraternal Order of Police. Finally, this governor talks about an economy that is on fire, but the fact of the matter is that 22,000 fewer Kentuckians are working since Andy Bashir took office. We have the lowest workforce participation rate in this country, and we also have a record of demonstrating time and time again that this governor will not stand up for your family and protect women's sports from biological males. When I'm governor, we will look out for our citizens, and we will make sure that this Commonwealth is a shining city on a hill. Thank you both. Can you believe it? That's our. All right, so that is their first televised debate. Like I said, I dug through this because I wanted to make sure you all covered it, you heard it, you heard their final arguments, hopefully too as well. I started this uh, yesterday, 
with the beginning to say you're going to learn what the difference is between being an informed voter and just a person who watches these. And hopefully you hearing this commentary on it, you've learned a few things about uh, their responses, about what they've said, putting that into perspective and some of the truth behind it. Uh, I hope uh, you carry this information forward and tell others about it. Otherwise, thank you all so, so much for joining us. That's what we have time for. We'll see you back here uh, tomorrow. Yeah, one o'clock. Thank you.